Hello everyone, I'm Amelia Allen and welcome to Altitude Crime. We have another listener suggestion today. This case was recommended by Russ. And this case made me think of a quote that is credited to William Gladstone. And it says, quote, justice delayed is better than justice denied, unquote. I think this perfectly encapsulates today's story about five-year-old Ali Barrelez. So let's get into it. Alessandra Berlez, who went by the nickname Ali, was five years old in 1993. Ali loved to fly kites and loved to dance, and The Little Mermaid was her favorite movie. Similar to her favorite princess, Ali had big doll eyes, just these beautiful oversized doll eyes like she was a Disney character. Allie lived in the Golden Nugget apartment complex at 200 West Grand Avenue in South Inglewood, Colorado. She lived with her mom and two younger brothers in the apartment, and they had just recently moved to the complex. On May 18, 1993, Allie and some other children were eating pizza in the parking lot of her apartment complex. The neighbor, who was also serving as a babysitter, was with the children, but went inside very quickly for something, and when she came back, Allie was gone. Allie had been taken from her own home. Allie's mother, Maribel, and her neighbors looked for 30 minutes, and when they did not find Allie immediately, they called the police. Allie was reported missing at around 7 p.m. It was believed early on that her three-year-old brother, who had also been eating pizza, witnessed her kidnapping. According to Colleen Curry's reporting for ABC News, he was the only testimony they had. As her article says, quote, Allie's young brother told police, the old man took Allie. The boy then walked to the door of an apartment and indicated it was the apartment of the old man, unquote. According to the Allie Foundation, Inc.'s website, the day after Allie disappeared, her mom told the media, quote, she knew better than to go with strangers, but she's only five years old. She loved people, and that was one of the things that made her special. Now, I'm afraid it was one of the things that made her a victim, unquote. There was some hope early on in Allie's case. Just two months before she disappeared, a three-year-old named Mikey Chandler had been taken from a church in Denver. He was found a day later, and he was found alive. But that didn't mean that the search was any less dire. Allie still needed to be found, and Allie had a medical problem. She had really severe asthma and had to take the medicine Provental four times a day. Her asthma attacks without this medicine could be life-threatening. So there was a chance that even if Allie was safe for the moment, that she wouldn't survive if she didn't get her medicine soon. The first day of searching was a door-to-door search in the immediate area of the apartment complex. And a huge amount of people helped in this. Police departments in Inglewood, Littleton, Cherry Hills, Denver, and the Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office all got involved. And there was the additional help from firefighters and volunteers. 
The second day of the search, they expanded the area to ditches, parks, creeks, and other areas in town. They did a search of Bellevue Park, which was just five minutes west of the apartments, and the east bank of South Platte River, which was just west of that. Police received 1,000 tips in those first two days that Ali was missing. On the third day since her disappearance, May 21st, a bloodhound was brought in to see if they could catch the scent of Ali and drum up any kind of information about where she might be. It took that long to get the bloodhound on the case because all of Aurora police and Jefferson County dogs had been in Casper, Wyoming, working on something else. A bloodhound named Yogi was assigned to the search, and his handler was canine officer Jerry Nichols. Yogi had come from a breeder in Colorado Springs and had started in Aurora's police department in 1991. Police were pretty skeptical about bringing in Yogi and if it would even help their investigation. There had been a good amount of time passed at this point. There'd been a lot of people looking around and in the areas the alley could have been. And there had been a rain that had happened during those few days that they'd been searching. To start off Yogi's search, he was given a scent piece that was some clothes that Allie had worn recently. According to the Unsolved Mysteries write-up on this case, canine officer Jerry Nichols explained the tracking process. Quote, he didn't care. He was oblivious to everything other than what he was doing because he's happy doing that. A bloodhound is by instinct a tracker. By nature, it's something they're bred to do and they live to do. Their sense of smell is just incredible. The loose skin around the face acts as a place for the scent to be attracted to, and the skin folds. The gels, the slobbering, the moisture that the dog is emitting will actually help enhance that scent around the face. It's putting the moisture in the air and those long, dangly, floppy ears, it kind of stirs it up in front of him, unquote. Now you may be wondering what the scent that humans create actually is that a dog can pick up. Scent is created by dead skin cells a human or animal sheds, which happens constantly. The first place that Yogi went to was the apartment Ali lived in. This told investigators that he was already on the right track. Scents can remain in an area for up to a month. It really takes severe weather or intentional washing to make the scent go away. Once Yogi had hit at Ali's apartment, he then went south out of the apartment complex. This took the group south on Broadway into Littleton. It was believed at this point that Ali was taken in a car as Yogi was tracing the scent along the road and kind of meandering between street and up to the business on the street. If the person were walking away from the scene, he would have been tracking right on the sidewalk. And this is something I didn't know, but you can track a scent from a car. Those dead skin cells that create the scent move through the exhaust system and then is poured out into the area which a bloodhound can still find. Yogi then took the ramp onto the C-470 West. When he got on this ramp, investigators started to have a lot more confidence in him. From here, they ended up taking Yogi in a car and taking him to each exit so he could see if he hit there or not. He did hit on the first three exits but indicated that they needed to keep going. Investigators thinking that they needed to get a lot farther went on to the fifth exit. There, Yogi showed that he had lost the scent and that the fourth exit was it. This was near Wadsworth on the freeway leading to Deer Creek Canyon in Jefferson County. 
While multiple agencies helped in the search, this actually meant that multiple agencies were involved at this point, as this area was in Jefferson County and Inglewood, where Allie lived, was in Arapahoe County. At this point, Yogi had been on the search for seven hours and had covered 14 miles or 22 and a half kilometers, depending on which measurement system you use. At this point, his handler decided to give Yogi a rest. Because bloodhounds are so, no pun intended, dogged when they're tracking something, they will actually track themselves to exhaustion. So this was an effort to make sure that Yogi didn't totally wear himself out. And being that it was evening at this point, they decided to call it a night on the search for the day. According to the Alley Foundation website, Yogi's tracking on this day was one of the longest tracks done by a search dog at the time, according to Sergeant Byron Hicks. The next day, the area where Yogi had stopped was searched by Arapaho Rescue Patrol, and they found her body two miles away from the exit where Yogi was stopped to rest. Now, this canyon had a lot of scrub and some ditches, and Allie's body was actually located in a ditch that was about 20 feet deep. Investigators assume that whoever had done this had taken her into this kind of ravine and tossed her body down into the ditch. Allie was found inside a khaki duffel bag, and she was wearing the same clothes she had on when she disappeared, a denim jumper from Oshkosh. Her body was found just before noon on May 22, 1993, just four days after she'd gone missing. Allie's autopsy prompted more questions than answers. There was no sign of significant trauma or obvious sign of death. There was also no indication of sexual assault. DNA was found on her underwear when they found her body, but there was nothing they could do with it at the time. It was initially thought that the perpetrator was someone who lived in the apartment complex or someone who visited and was pretty familiar with the tenants there. 35-year-old Nick Stouffer was pretty immediately the main suspect, and Yogi also had hit at Stouffer's apartment while at the complex. The day after Allie's body was found, they went back to the location of her body, and Yogi ended up tracking the scent right back to Stouffer's door. This was indicative of the neighbor being responsible, as they would still have her scent on them as they returned home after the killing. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, Allie's brother had walked to an apartment door and indicated the person inside was involved, and this also was Stouffer's apartment. At this point, the police only had circumstantial evidence against Stouffer, but it was compelling. Stouffer had admitted to police that during the door-to-door search on the first day that Allie was missing, he was in his apartment but did not answer the door. Stouffer was also a welder, and the bag that Allie was found in had metal shavings in it consistent with shavings that would have been found in a welder's workshop. Some witnesses said the duffel bag that Allie was found in matched one that Stouffer had been seen with. Stouffer called in and did not go to work on May 19th, which is the day after Allie went missing. He also asked a friend on May 19th if he could borrow his car. He said he was going to pick up his paycheck and would be using it to move to California, and he moved right after Allie's disappearance. Stouffer had moved to Redlands, California, and investigators went there to question him, and they actually extradited him to Colorado in 1994, the year after Allie went missing and was found murdered, based on a drunk driving charge. This is when they took the opportunity to get DNA, fingerprints, and hair samples from him. 
But like I said, DNA was not being used at the time. It would sit in vials until it would end up being useful. Stouffer was a known alcohol and drug user and really had developed a problem with both. And he did have a rap sheet, but all of his charges were alcohol or minor drug charges. And he had no background of sexual offenses or sexual deviancy. According to Inglewood Police Chief John Collins, there was just never enough evidence to charge him and have the charges stick and go to a successful trial. The charges also didn't go through as the district attorney said there was just not enough evidence. Allie's case did get national attention and Unsolved Mysteries even covered the case. I have included a link on the website at altitudecrime.com and it's really, really interesting because the Unsolved Mysteries episode actually has footage of Yogi's search for Allie. In October 1995, Allie's grandfather publicly accused Stouffer of killing her. This verbal charge happened at a press conference during the annual golf tournament that raised funds for the Alley Foundation, which we'll talk about here in a moment. Her grandfather did not blame police for not making an arrest yet, and he encouraged Stouffer's family in Colorado to do the right thing and try to pressure him into telling the truth. This was still frustrating for law enforcement as they had put in hundreds of hours into the investigation. But at this point, leads on Allie's case went completely cold. But Allie's legacy would start very quickly. A funeral home in Littleton was packed with 400 people at her funeral, and many more people also paid their respects outside of the facility. Allie was taken to her grave in a horse-drawn hearse, and the procession of cars to the Chapel Hill Cemetery was a mile long. Her mom, Marivelle, moved out of the apartment shortly after Allie's murder. Marivelle told Tom Moons of the Littleton Independent, quote, It was too much for me to stay there. It seemed everywhere I looked, I saw something that reminded me of Allie. I had to get out of there, unquote. Yogi, the bloodhound who tracked Allie's case, got some notoriety of his own. According to the Alley Foundation website, Yogi was awarded, quote, the National Police Hall of Fame Medal for Outstanding Canine Service, and the Colorado Legislature presented him with a commendation for meritorious service. The impressed lawmakers invited the hound right onto the floor of the house to get both his award and some appreciative pats on the head, unquote. During Yogi's seven-year career, he helped on 476 cases in eight states and helped in the arrest of 27 murderers. Yogi even identified 110-year-old graves for a local historical society. Now, where a lot of this information is mentioned in, in the Alley Foundation website is from a book called Amazing Animals of Colorado by Gail C. Shirley. I will have a link to that on the website because it sounds pretty interesting. Yogi died in June 1998 of cancer, but Yogi's work caught the attention of Allie's family and her grandparents started a foundation to help law enforcement agencies purchase bloodhounds. Like I said just a little bit ago, Allie does get her own legacy. Richard and Letitia Berales started the foundation and Allie in the Allie Foundation stands for Abducted, Lost, Innocent, Enough. The foundation started with one purchase, a bloodhound was bought that would not travel and stay in the Denver metro area. The Baralezas asked for donations to buy this dog, and from there, the cause was born. They got enough initial donations to purchase two bloodhounds, and the dogs were $500 each. 
One of the dogs was named Allie and went to the Cherry Hills Village Police Department. This dog went to Cherry Hills as Inglewood did not have a canine unit yet. The handler of this first Allie dog was Officer Glenn Riley. This particular dog ended up finding a little girl with Down syndrome after she walked away from a car crash. Her parents were injured in the crash and did not know where she went. This particular day it was blizzarding and the dog found her within 30 minutes. The bloodhound, as I said, named Allie, found this little girl in the snow four months after completing her training. As of 2019, 600 bloodhounds have been supplied to law enforcement agencies all over the U.S. thanks to the Alley Foundation. And they're now even breeders that donate puppies to the cause. If you'll remember, we covered the Janelle Matthews case in episode 42. And when her parents had her declared deceased 10 years after she went missing in 1994, they had a memorial for Janelle. And there was actually a bloodhound that was presented to Larimer County Sheriff's Office at this memorial, and the donation was made by the Alley Foundation. The Alley Foundation also provides resources for parents and children to talk about safety and child abduction. If you're interested, this is a great place to donate, and I'll have their website on AltitudeCrime.com if you're interested. In addition to the foundation, right after Allie was found murdered, her grandparents created a quilt in her memory that was hung at Del Norte Elementary School. The quilt included squares of other missing children, and it was used as a presentation tool about safety and things like that for young children. Other families of missing children were encouraged to help with the quilt and were helping contribute squares to it. According to Aaron Smith's reporting for the Pueblo Chieftain, Allie's mother wrote on the quilt, Quote, my little ballerina girl, you are so lovely. Please don't ever go away. Forever dancing, my sweet angel. Heaven is your home. Unquote. So I bet you thought I was going to end the episode right here. But guess what? I have more information and maybe even a little bit of a resolution. Detectives revisited Allie's case many times over the years. And the DNA that they had collected was sent in on February 2011. This DNA was sent to the CBI, or Colorado Bureau of Investigation, and it actually led to Allie's case being closed on September 13, 2011, 18 years after her disappearance. The DNA that they had matched the family's neighbor, Nick Stouffer. The extraction technique that was used on the DNA was relatively new at the time and allowed for testing of smaller and less pristine samples. The DNA from Stouffer matched material that was found in Allie's underwear and also was a partial match to DNA found on her underwear waistband. According to Colleen Curry's reporting for ABC News, Inglewood Police Chief John Collins said, quote, We wanted to put the cuffs on Stouffer so bad, but we couldn't because the evidence was not there. So over time, the pain, the anguish of not being able to do that kept the fire alive. And it was terribly frustrating. That's why we're here today. It may be therapy for us to be able to say it's over. All of the work the police and the family and everyone put into it finally came to a conclusion. But this case would never go to trial. Stouffer had actually died in 2001. And depending on which source you look at, he either died of natural causes or of a drug overdose. And he was 41 at the time of his death. He was living in Phoenix when he passed away, and there was a search of his Phoenix apartment after his death, but this gleaned no new information on the case. According to Tom Munn's reporting for the Inglewood Herald, 
Inglewood Police Chief John Collins said the case, quote, is probably the most extensive investigation in Inglewood Police Department history. We have never given up on trying to locate who committed this crime. The DNA testing wasn't available in 1993. However, we submitted evidence to the Colorado Bureau of Investigation when there were advances in forensic technology. This time, they did the testing, found the comparison, and matched the DNA found on Allie to Stouffer's DNA. Richard Barrales, Allie's grandfather, had a lot to say about Stouffer and this case being closed. According to CBS4 Denver, he said, quote, There are many people that we would think of as persons who had committed this crime. Nick Stouffer back then was a person of interest. And throughout 18 years and all the speaking engagements that I've been to, to talk to law enforcement throughout the country, to different groups and public schools and the business world, I would always say, there is no suspect. We have nobody. Even though deep down in the back of my mind, I knew that Nick Stouffer was a person of interest. There was nothing to confirm or connect him to this crime. That he had been anywhere near Ali. There were only assumptions, thoughts, different people saying, well, I think I did it. I think he was there. I even had one person come to me one time and said to me, Stouffer was a person who said some things and I heard him and I want to tell you what he said. And that kind of made me believe that he was the one that did it, but still no solid evidence to really point a finger at him and say, there's the person that committed the crime. That's the person that walked into Ali's play area and either carried her away or took her by the hand without anybody hearing or seeing anything, unquote. According to Colleen Curry's reporting for ABC News, Richard Barrales also said, quote, It's been a long 18 years, but Allie's not a victim. I don't want people to think of her as a victim. She's a hero, and she's been a hero for the past 18 years, unquote. And I don't think it could have been said any better. While Allie's family didn't have her for those 18 years, other families had the efforts of the Allie Foundation and the bloodhounds that were provided to help in other cases. Okay guys, you know I have thoughts on this. So musing number one. These cases are always odd because there is that letdown of not facing a trial and you have answers but you don't really have answers and the answers are so close but the family will never completely know what the deal was. And Richard Barrales did talk about this again in Colleen Curie's reporting for ABC News. He said, quote, There are a lot of questions that we have as a family that we will never have the answer to. All we can do is guess why and how and what time everything happened during the different days, unquote. Musing number two. So this is kind of a long rambling thought regarding Nick Stouffer. So... First of all, given the situation and the age and where DNA was found on Allie, we really pretty much assume this case is a sexual assault. But with having no trauma to her body, you can't really prove that. So if it's not a creepy sexual assault case on a young girl, what is the motive for Stouffer to do this? And again, it's so typical of killers like this or for pedophiles to keep some kind of trophy or evidence or photos or something like that. And again, when Stouffer died, there was nothing. So again, what is the motive here? And the biggest question regarding him is, outside of Yogi's hit on the scent of Ali, what would have ever led them to Stouffer? I mean, his history is not indicative of this type of crime, like I said in the episode 
His rap sheet was basically alcohol and drug charges. It doesn't seem like there was any inkling that he was like had a tendency to kind of be a, a leerer with young children. So you have the question of really what was his motive in doing this? And you have the question of if not for Yogi, would they have even come across him? Would he even be on the radar? Because it does seem like such a mismatch. Musing number three. You do wonder about the availability of bloodhounds at this time, and could Ali's case have turned out differently if a bloodhound could have been brought in immediately? And this is really what her grandparents thought, and this is really a big thing that led to the beginning of the Ali Foundation. Like I said, the first dog that they got was to be able to have one in the Denver metro area at all times, whereas in Ali's case, they had to wait for dogs to come back from Wyoming. So it does make you question, would this case have been any different with any easier access to that kind of asset. Musing number four. I have to say, good on these police that had the foresight to get hair and blood samples from Stouffer. This is really an interesting time in police investigation because you did have new forensic technology coming on the scene, but you know, you couldn't know exactly what that was or what it was going to be or how advanced it was going to be or if you'd collect things that you didn't need but didn't collect things you did need. So it's always really amazing to me with these cases that are right on the cusp of DNA really becoming so integral in crime scene investigations that there is the foresight to get this information and in a case like this then solve that case. It's pretty incredible. Musing number five. Now this is a note from the person who suggested this case, lovely Mr. Russ. So Russ actually has a background in law enforcement, and he was working for a Colorado police department and actually received a bloodhound from the Alley Foundation. And it happened around the seventh anniversary of Alley's disappearance, and his bloodhound was named Bailey, which was after Glenn Bailey, who got the very first Alley dog. So I asked him if I could share that because I thought that was really, really interesting information. Musing number six. Now, kind of going back to DNA here, in that lab testing and forensic steps forward take time. And this case proves what I always hope for in other cases, and I know I have said in many other episodes, that we have those pieces of information and maybe someday that will glean something. Here in Allie's case, it took 18 years. We can always hope it's sooner, but an answer is better than no answer. And... This case is just a huge example of what I'm always hoping for. Well, guys, that's it for today. As always, please keep the suggestions coming. These have been some really interesting cases to look into, and you guys have brought some to my attention I was not familiar with. So keep them coming. You can submit them at altitudecrime.com or feel free to contact me on social media. You can get me on Instagram at Altitude Crime Podcast, Facebook and Twitter at Altitude Crime. And as always, please, please, please follow and subscribe. It's going to help other people find Altitude Crime, and our little crime clan is growing so much, and it's so awesome to see. As always, source materials for this episode can be found at altitudecrime.com, as well as the link to merch, to other Amelia Allen Enterprise products, and an email for me if that's the way you'd like to reach out. Well, thanks as always for spending part of your week with me, and I will talk to you next week on Altitude Crime.
Episode 48, The Kidnapping and Murder of Ali Barrales, was written, recorded, and edited by Amelia Allen. Music provided by podbean.com.